The material discussed and presented in this podcast is for general information only and any reliance on such material is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Reference to any information, product, process, service, or organization does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by pros. Views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement by pros of them or any entity they represent. Views expressed by pros employees are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, standards, or policies of pros or any of its directors, officers, employees, or shareholders. Welcome to Interface, a podcast where we connect technology and culture through conversation. Interface is brought to you by Empower at Pros. Empower is dedicated to attracting, developing, and retaining Black talent at Pros. Pros helps people and companies outperform by enabling smarter selling in a digital economy. I'm your host, Jennifer Plummer, and today I'm joined with my co-host, Sierra. And... Maddie, who's usually here, is on vacation, living it up. Uh, we can't wait to see his PowerPoint when he gets back of all the f- fun stuff he's been up to. Um, our guest today is Tanisha Hall, Director, IT Application Development at United Airlines. Welcome, Tanisha. Thank you so much, Jenny and Sierra. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. We're so happy to have you. Tanisha and I go back, back a long time. She- <laughs> She was my first roommate at University of Maryland, Baltimore County. So um, really happy to have you here today, Tanisha. Um, That was such a long time ago. Yeah. Such a different person. (laughs) See, now before we get into the the work stuff, I want to know the real deal. How was Jenny in college? I mean, freshman year, dorm mate. It was was the summer. So we had... had, um, we went to school in the summer for our, for our, for the Meyerhoff scholarship summer bridge part. Ah. So it was like two months, I guess. I can't remember. Yeah, it was about. It was. I think it was a six six to eight week program. I can't remember either. It's been a long time, but you know, we went into college. It's your first time away from home. Everybody's trying to learn who they are and just trying to, you know, be on their own. And so, you know, we were all probably a little out there a little out there (laughs) initially a little bit shy right until you get to know people but it was a great summer we got to bond um you know jenny and i and then you know the rest of our cohort of about 36 people and so it it really kind of helped us going into the fall of our freshman year college so but jenny was fun jenny was always fun always quirky (laughs) Always laughing, just like she is now. So um, there was never a dull moment. I cannot even believe that she used to be a wallflower. The Jenny that I know today, I cannot, even, I cannot even fathom. I feel like I had stepped into a whole new world because I went to a predominantly white high school. Everyone was either from Montgomery County, Maryland, like Tanisha, like me. PG County or Baltimore and then there was like the others which is like me um, and maybe a few other people so I was just like trying to really just kind of catch up and you know I hadn't been in an environment like that Um, so that was kind of me feeling a little bit like a fish out of water 
But it was fun. I don't think anybody made you feel like that. Let's no, 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 no. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> no. Like you said, it was just kind of bonding and um, yeah, like we were going, going to school. Classes. Just, going to classes. Um, you know, just even understanding like where to find your class and going to class. Even when the fall came, it kind of changed a little bit because we would go together everywhere. And then we were kind of like when the fall started, we kind of you know, everyone doesn't have the same schedule. So it's kind of a little bit more dispersed. Right. So the, the summer definitely, I think you, you tied it up. It's, it was a bonding experience. We were yeah. all kind of like, what's Very going on? So. <laughs> I, love so, I know a little bit about your background, um, Tanisha, but maybe you can, uh, for Sierra and our audience, maybe uh, describe how you got in, how you you know, what field you're in, like kind of your path to get there, um, what your interests were, you know. Sure, everything. sure. So, <laughs> yes, it's, you know, this, this, where do I start is what I say, right? Because, um, so I, I grew up in Montgomery County, Maryland, Silver Spring in particular. Um, it's an area that is really, really big on education. Um, but before that, I was in Virginia. You know, I was with a single mom. We ended up moving to D.C. So I did elementary school in D.C., um, you know, D.C. proper. And my mom has always kind of wanted us to have a have better opportunities for education. And so she basically moved um, to an apartment in Montgomery County, Maryland, because of the schools. And from that point on, it was, you know, you know, when you first go into like a new school district, you know, they have to test you to see kind of where you are. And it was at that point that she was, she, she always knew I was smart, right? I always knew I was smart, but you know, you go take that placement test for math, right? And the placement test was like off the charts. And so I, I ended up going into a magnet program in junior high school in Tacoma Park and um, that then transitioned into, um, you know, the, the magnet program at Montgomery Blair, where the focus was on like science and technology. Um, it wasn't really engineering so much, you know, at that point, but science, technology, and math, and, you know, math was, was really, really big. And, you know, I look back on my time in Montgomery County and I realized that there were a lot of opportunities that I was kind of able to take advantage of you know, being in that kind of STEM environment. Um, you know, I look back and I, I think about like programs. This was 20, almost over 25 years ago, <laughs> right? Over 25 years ago, programs like, you know, where you could go and visit a college and see what college students were doing. You could kind of, you know, talk to professors then. This was, this was a long time ago. And so I had a lot of exposure. Also had exposure to like, different groups, um, you know, where, you know, was it was really mentoring for some of the, you know, STEM environments, mentoring, and then UMBC. I mean, that was kind of like the cream of the crop, right? I, I will say, I, I never really knew where I was going to college, right? I was the first person in my family to go to college. My mom didn't go to college, so she couldn't help me kind of navigate the process. I knew I was going somewhere, right? Like, so that wasn't an option, you know, 
always knew like that was my next step after 12th grade. I was going to go to college. I didn't know where. And so whereas like nowadays, you know, people have like their favorite place they want to go. Oh, I want to go to University of A, B, and C. I want to go to the Ivy League. I literally had no clue. I was just like, okay. And and funny story, I used to love ACC basketball in high school. And so I just applied to ACC school. Right? I applied to and Maryland. Was I applied a- to, okay. I'm sorry. It's um it's a it's a sports league. Okay. It's a sports league, like um sports. I'm sorry. Okay. So like college <laughs> basketball, right? <laughs> so there was, at the time there was like North Carolina was in there, University of Maryland, University of Virginia. Like, and so I applied to those schools because those are the schools I knew. You know, I, um, one of my counselors in high school, um, told me about Meyerhoff because I mean, it was still pretty much in its infancy, right? We were the sixth class of Meyerhoff. So it was still pretty much in its infancy. And not very many people really knew about the program, but somehow she knew. And so she told me, she's like, hey, I think you might want to try this. And I remember there was, you know, I showed my mom was like, oh, you know, counselor said to go and apply for this. Um, it was a, a, a full ride scholarship. I was like, okay, I'll do it. But then I thought about it. And, and honestly, I was like, ah, I don't really want to go to UMBC. And so I didn't do it. I mean, that, that was, I, I didn't do it. I remember my mom had come home from her job the night before the application was due. And she worked, she worked two jobs. So this was the evening job. So let's say she got home at nine o'clock and the application wasn't done. She asked me about it and I was like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Right. She made me sit at the living room table. And I mean, this was when we had to actually type the applications and use whiteout if you made a mistake. I literally had to sit there, type up the entire application before I went to sleep that night. And so I was like, okay, my mom's serious. Like she's serious about this. (laughs) And, um, you know, I mean, really, I, you know, turned it in, you know, was invited to the selection weekend for, you know, for scholars. And I think going to the selection weekend is kind of what, what sold me on UMBC and what sold me on, you know, the program. And, you know, I mean, just hearing the, the, the president at that time, which was Dr. Robowski, speak about Black excellence and wanting to get a PhD and you know, wanting to influence the next generation, like all of that spoke to me. And so it was at that point, I was like, oh, I, you know, I really want to go to UMBC and, and you know, and that's literally how it happened. And, you know, if it wasn't for my mom, like making me get up, my path yeah. would have been completely different. Yeah. Like, it would have been completely are the different. best. I mean, we yeah. don't like them always in the moment. It's like, yes. what? why do I have to do this? And then, of course, when you look back, 2020 vision. It's like, why did right? I listen to her? <laughs> That's why I think yeah. about my kids right now. I was like, why don't you listen to me? I'm wise. <laughs> listen, I understand. I am um, I'm kind of going through that now with my daughter who is trying. You to got a senior, college. right? Yeah. I yes. remember when my daughter was a senior. Yeah. It's tough. So it's a lot. Yeah. So it's a lot. So just to kind of continue my story after UMBC, I mean, I felt really prepared to to do anything 
by the time I left there, I had chosen computer. Actually, I chose electrical engineering my, my uh, freshman year. The caveat was I had to take physics. <laughs> and you no, know, I was terrified of physics because yeah. it wasn't like my strong suit. I was like, all the math I can do, and I know physics is math, but for whatever reason, physics was not it. And I saw that I had to take physics, so I changed immediately from electrical engineering to computer science, and that is literally how I got there. Um, so yeah, left UMBC. No regrets. No, not at all, because I would have had to take physics. <laughs> I would have had to take physics. I mean, I, you know, I will say computer science has afforded me a lot of opportunity to learn a lot of different things. And I'm sure electrical engineering was, is the same, but I only know from my perspective now. Um, but yeah, so after UMBC, um, I went to Georgia Tech. I was there for three years. Um, I got my master's with a concentration in human-computer interaction. Um, and I left Georgia Tech, and the first thing I thought was, I want to go back to the D.C. area and kind of live there as an adult. And so that's what I did. I went back to a place I had an internship, which was Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab. And I, I was there until I eventually made my way to Texas. <laughs> so that was in 2005. And I've, I've pretty much been here um, ever since. So Yeah. Yeah. So um, what do you, what, what is your role now and kind of what is your daily life kind of like? Okay. So I'll start with the role. I am director of IT application development um, here at United Airlines. And I would give you the long version of the title, um, but it's for catering, link, and onboard experience. Um, so my teams have responsibility um, for all of our catering systems at United, as well as the mobile device that our flight attendants carry um, in flight, which we call Link, and then all of our onboard um, experience transformation. So anything that we are creating inside the aircraft to make it better for our flight attendants, as well as our customers. So onboard experience. Day-to-day, -day, <laughs> so this is the thing I love about working at United, there are, I mean, I know people say this all the time, like there are no two days that are alike, but it is truly, there are truly no two days that are alike. Yes, there are, you know, projects that my team works on, but I mean, every day you can look in the news and you can see something different about the airline, right? There's some news story about the airlines, whether it's United or whether it's another airline and, you know, we can draw parallels. Um, between the two. Um, there are all types of special projects that we do, you know, for, for customers, um, for flight attendants, you know, because our flight attendants are unionized. And so there's a lot of rules we have to go through to build applications um, that that can, um, you know, apply for their, their, their union. Um, but what we're trying to do, I would say, like, overall, is Figure out how we, um, how we, and how do we better the experience for our customer? So everything we do, that's why we do it. Um, no two days alike, but application team. We start with scrum calls. You know, we we I have many business partners in in flight services, which is our flight attendants, 
Uh, we have customer strategy and innovation. Uh, I work with those business partners. Um, I work with partners in, in digital analytics, right? Because after we have like all the data, all the applications, we have to collect the data and then, you know, figure out how we, how we do things better or easier or faster, more efficient. And so no two days are the same, but um, we have, we have a lot of fun and I have a, I have a really fun area. I would say at United, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's very fun whenever, whenever people hear me talk about it or whenever people come to my team, um, they're, they're, they really love it because, you know, they've flown, they've seen a flight attendant, right? If they purchase something in air, they, they know the flight attendant holds that device and ask them if they want to charge on their credit cards. And so, you know, we, we have a, a good time because everything that we do, we can kind of, we can see it. We can see it, see it as soon as we, as soon as we step out into the airport and, and get on a flight. Yeah, that feedback loop is, I think, very important. I think people do get frustrated when, you know, sometimes you're working on a project for a long time and then it's kind of like, ah, we've changed our minds or we're going to go to, and you, you feel disappointed because you're not going to, uh, you know, see what people, you know, how people react to that. Um, so being able to put something out there that is so immediately, so one-to-one -one with the end user as well, um, end user, customer, <laughs> or, you know, a passenger on a flight um, is very relatable and very rewarding, I would think. Yes. And, and I, I see and, all and your I, posts on LinkedIn and you're always, you know, I doing a lot. <laughs> we are, we really are doing a lot and I, and I, I love it. That, that's what kind of keeps me, that's one of the things I'll say that keeps me here, but but my, my customer is is the flight attendant. Mm -hmm. um, at least one of my customers is the flight attendant. But how do we enable the flight attendant to make the customer's experience better? And so we do a lot of things um, around that. And we we talk to our flight attendants. Like if, I, if I'm on a business trip and I have to go to Chicago, then I'll talk to the flight attendants to get real-time feedback about what they like, what they don't like, what is useful, what might not be so useful. So that we can continuously iterate and make the products better. Are they so. usually um, kind about their feedback, or they are or, real? They yeah. are real. <laughs> I will say that sometimes kind, but I mean, there. You know, we understand that there are some shortcomings that we need to to get better at as far as technology, and so we don't want to sugarcoat it. We don't want them to sugarcoat it. Um, you know, we, we also have focus groups, right? So it's not, we're not only doing research once we go, you know, once we're up in the air flying, we do have focus groups. And when we are building applications, um, my team is really, really good about testing those applications in flight. And so they are, they are literally always traveling somewhere. They, they, they go everywhere. They go across country, they go out of the country, <laughs> they, go, they go to the South, to the North. They, they're literally all over. Um, to, to test and make sure that the products that we're building um, are going to be um, successful in flight. That's that's amazing. If you like traveling, <laughs> you, you get the opportunity because, you know, it'd be one thing to say, oh, I work for United, but I'm always kind of here. <laughs> but you're yes. actually getting the opportunity to kind of experience, you know, what it's like to, you know, be a passenger, but also be a, you know, an employee. And so making improvements as you go. Yes. From the firsthand experience. Firsthand experience. It's um, like I said, it's, it's, I think that experience is one of the things that kind of keeps me here. I mean, I've, I've, I've been at United for a long time, been here 15 years. And so I've gone through, so I'll say I started at Continental in Houston 
Um, that was the Houston was the headquarters for Continental Airlines. United was based in Chicago, and we merged in we started in 2011. And I mean that was a stressful time, right? You're you're merging two completely separate airlines. You have double the amount of employees now, and so it was a really stressful time for um, for everybody. But then you think about it, and you're like. Okay, now we have work to do because we have two completely separate HR systems. We have two completely separate customer database systems. Like we have, we had two of everything. And so the then the the big, you know, the big um, opportunity became how do you merge all this data into one so that we can run a successful airline, and how do you do it without um, interrupting operations. At the at the airlines, and so that was that was heavy on on us in 2011 and 2012. But um, we got through it and came out on the other side. And, and it's, it's really interesting that I've now been a United employee for for 10 years, right outside of the five years at Continental. So, so uh, what advice would you give to up and comers who are interested in, um, you know, STEM related fields or, you know, software engineering or computer science in particular? So this is what I, I, I do tell people this now. Um, so there, there's a couple different tracks, right? So you can, you can go to college, you can learn everything that you need to learn to be successful in a STEM field, right? But starting in high school, I tell people, that the internet is vast with opportunity. I mean, we did not have this. Like, I don't, I don't know how my path would have changed had I had the internet. Um, but there are so much information. There are free classes for literally everything that you want to learn, right? So I would start there with the learning. Secondly, I always push for um for people to have mentors, um, push for people to have mentors in the field that you want to study. Um, I think that is important um, because it can kind of also help guide you in your career track. Um, yes, I would say learn all you can, mentorship, and then get involved. You can get involved with outside organizations, uh, get involved with like-minded people, um, you know, there's a lot of organizations that you can be a part of and get to actually know people in the fields that you're interested in. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's the, the, the I remember just, you know, having to do assignments and going to a library and looking in the card catalog and then going to find the book. And it's just like, just everything's at your fingertips now um, with anything you're interested in and definitely, yeah, people should try to take advantage of that and realize there's not one path, right? It's not high school, college, master's job. You, you know, you can, you can find people a way. People kind if, of if, create their own path. Totally their own path. I mean, there's, there's free classes literally everywhere. It's just a matter of seeking those out if it's something that you want to do. So, Yeah. After Johns Hopkins, I saw you had a, a short stint at MD Anderson, and then you moved on to Continental, which is now United. Um, what kind of drew you to to airline from coming from MD Anderson? 
So I'll back up just a little bit. <laughs> when I was moving to Houston, you know, I knew that I wanted to work for Continental at the time. And so that was the one place that I applied for. I was like, I want to work at Continental. Like, I always knew, I always had a travel bug. I've always had the travel bug. So I was like, oh, I'm going to work for an airline. And I targeted Continental. Um, I got an offer with Continental at the time. This was back in 2005. And I will say this, I can say this now. It was not a lucrative offer. <laughs> so <laughs> I did not take it. And I said, okay, well, let me go. And I, and I ended up, um, you know, not, not taking that, that job offer, but um, I, I did go to MD Anderson. MD Anderson was, was really, really nice. And, and at that time I, I started looking at like the top companies in Houston uh, for technology. And a lot of times like a hospital is not really going to be on the radar, but when I was kind of job searching, like, you know, all of big oil came up, um, all of, uh, like I said, Continental came up and then MD Anderson was there. And so I, I just said, oh, let me go check to see like what opportunities are kind of there. And um, so that's literally how it happened. I went to MD Anderson, I you know applied for position through there and I stayed there. And I only stayed there for one year. Um, I was doing master data management at, at that point um, because I'd had a database background. So I was like, okay, this, this sounds, you know, really cool. But um, the opportunity, another opportunity presented itself for me to go to Continental. And so I stayed at MD Anderson for a year and then went back to Continental and um, got, got a position that um, I had a really, really good mentor there uh, too. And I ended up getting that position um, as a database administrator at the time. And um, it, it is, it's been a, a great step for me um, in my career path. What do you enjoy the most about database? So I was doing, so with infrastructure and databases, it can it can mean so many things, right? Data runs the world, right? And so every application that is being built, so this is when I was a, a database administrator, every application that's being built uses data in some form or fashion, right? It was up to the database administrator, you know, and, and parts of the infrastructure team to make sure that those applications could function correctly. Right, like how do you speed them up? Because what customers don't like to do is sit there and wait. Right, you have a mobile app, you, you're sitting there and waiting. Nobody wants to wait, right? So how do you make it um, efficient? Like how do you make sure that it's reliable? Like nobody, you know, you you don't want to pull up your app and get an error message, right? So how do you make sure that you're not running out of space, you're running out of memory, um, making sure that it's efficient. Um, and I really loved querying. I was actually a, a TA back in grad school. <laughs> Jenny, you laughed. I was a TA back in grad school for databases for this was Oracle. I didn't put that Oracle on a t-shirt. I love querying. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it, it was um, it was it was just very interesting. And you can there's some interesting problems that you can solve with just knowing how to write database queries. And so it, it has just always been interesting to me. Um, Databases, de database development, like how do you organize data, to, you know, to make it efficient for people? And, you know, now you have big data. So there's, I mean, it's just getting better and better, I think. But I, I loved all aspects of kind of database 
databases in general. The so. DBAs are our superheroes because we'll be like DBAs are. Yeah, because a development team kind of has their initial design. Maybe a DBA is involved, but maybe not, right? Because there's usually not a lot of DBAs. So, right. you know, ultimately what happens is something goes live and it's not quite performing the way you want to. And, not quite and right. Dev teams are like, <laughs> DBA. That's what we say. <laughs> the database teams are, are pretty much in the background until stuff hits the fan. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, bring in the DBA. We got to make sure that. And so, you know, I, it, it's funny because I'm on the other side now. I'm, I, I went from being a DBA and being on the database administration side to now being on the application side. And, you know, and so I'm very cognizant of when my team wants to do some development. I'm like, have you talked to the DBA? Let's make sure that we're doing this the right way. Um, before, you know, before we put, put things into production. So um, we've, we've seen pretty good success there. Um, just because I kind of have my eye on that now, because I know what the other side is like. So I was going to say, I'm sure that makes your team, you know, a little bit more successful. You having that background to say, hold on. I know we, we want to put this out as soon as possible, but let's do a couple of checks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just look, I just make sure that they talk to the right people, <laughs> you know, just talk to the right people. Just make sure we're doing it the right way. Yeah. And we've had pretty good success there. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, yeah. I would like to be a, black, a background player too. I am not at all. Um, I don't know if Jenny told you this. I am not the techie on this team, oh. um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm here for the culture. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> good, good. But, but I, I mean, I agree with the kind of being the background player and being able to see things from a more broad perspective where you have sort of, you know, your SMEs kind of focused in one area and kind of helping to bridge <clears throat> bridge the gap, which it applies in, in all industries, it sounds like. So that's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And for those listening who are trying to thinking, okay, what aspect of application development could I get into where I'm more marketable or whatever? A DBA is definitely a good choice because, right, the companies typically don't have an excess of DBAs. Uh, they're, you know, it's, it's a a niche and definitely very valued. So, you know, you can definitely take those skills that you learn in one place and, and take it, you know, from company to company until you find your home place. So, yeah, it's definitely think, something yeah. to think about. DBAs are, are always, um, what would we say is DBAs don't really leave their companies. Um, so there's never just, I will say the words, there's hardly ever open roles for DBAs. Um, hmm. And, and we found that, you know, once the DBA gets in there and, and gets trained, then they tend to stay for a very, very long time. I know, I know a lot of um, the DBAs at, at United in, in particular, um, I mean, they've, they've been there for years. I mean, years and years, right? So we sometimes augment our, our team, but the majority have literally been there over probably the time I've been there, you know, 20, 30, 40 years people have been there. So how, how are you structuring your teams now with the, with the trend towards DevOps? Because I, I feel like originally, right, you'd have an application team 
and there was a database group and then you would try to like plug into them. But now that operations is kind of being built into the team, have you, have, have you seen the team structures change? So I think there is a shift. Um, there is a shift to, to just what you said, always in, in, including um, DevOps and not having these separate teams. Uh, right now, my team is still, you know, we have databases, we have our middleware teams, we have our application teams, and we have our DevOps teams. Um, we are at a, you know, at a company level, we are, we are shifting, uh, I can tell, but we have not made the shift yet. But I know it's coming because of, because of the, the push to, to have kind of DevOps in the middle of, of everything. Yeah, I would say like our, our newer teams are more truly DevOps and the applications that have been around for a long time are still kind of yes. more traditional separation because yep. it's hard to do that restructuring without affecting things. So um, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, and, and we're in a push now, um, you know, like, like, many, um, like many companies, many areas, to you know migrate to the cloud to have you know cloud-based applications and so when we do that that's where we're shifting to make sure that we have devops in center of all so in the spirit of um you know we, we talked about you know meyerhoff and 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 the opportunities that you had um, in high school and college, what should companies be doing to um, bring more black talent into their technology roles? That's a good question. Um, you know, I know over the last couple of years, um, a lot of companies, including United, have made a push towards recruiting um, black talent as well as diverse talent um i think recruitment is the first step right so so the targeting of specific schools right whether it's hbcu um that we're partnering with or whether it is specific groups on you know majority campuses i think recruitment has to be um the first step um, at least one of the things that we have done is we have changed how we write job descriptions. And you don't realize like how important that is until um, you actually do it and you get more people applying. Um, some of the things that, that we've thought about are, you know, we'd like to have, you know, a, a degree, right? A, a bachelor's degree. And so typically you'll see on a job rec, um, you want somebody who has a BS in a STEM-related field, computer science, math, engineering, whatever. But we had to stop and think, it's like, does that matter? Because if somebody took a different path, then they're not gonna have a BS in one of those STEM fields. Maybe they'll have it in another field, but maybe they don't have one at all, but they're either self-taught or, or, or what have you. And so we have, um, in a lot of instances, removed that requirement and we have seen growth in the number of submissions because people don't feel compelled to have a bachelor's degree before they're looking for a technology role um so that is that's one thing recruitment definitely um you know the job descriptions and then once people once people kind of um well let me i'll go back to this but after the um 
after the, you know, the job description and you have people who actually submit, one thing that I think we need to do to increase our um, Black talent is prepare people for interviewing. Um, and that can mean a couple things, right? A lot of times you're going to go into interview blind. You're going to look at the job description and you're kind of going to go into the interview blindly. What I know some people um, do is they have kind of like a pre-conversation with the interviewee. So one, you can figure out exactly what the role is and you can find out a little bit of information about the company if, if it's not a company that you're familiar with um, and give you a little bit of insight into what you're going to be doing, right? So I think interview preparation is, is key. Um, that is a little bit harder because I think with that, you have to have a mentor kind of in your space to help you prepare for that. But interviewing, you know, knowing how to best articulate your answers to interview questions, right? I have, I have mentored several people and taken on that, that task of just doing a, just doing a, a mock interview. And you, you would be surprised at the difference in the first interview, like at the first mock interview and the second mock interview, right? And so I think interview preparation is also um, um, something key. And then once you get the job, I think to increase Black talent, you have to see that there are opportunities for advancement uh, within the company, right? So some type of internal mobility, because if not, people are going to leave. Um, yeah. You know, you either have to, and, and it doesn't, I mean, obviously, if you're not qualified for the, the role, you're not going to be promoted per se, but you want to make sure that you show that there is internal mobility and um, that people are able to um, to be promoted within the company or otherwise people start looking, you know, looking for the, the grass being greener on the other side. So, um, yeah, I was looking through, through your LinkedIn and I saw like, I mean, United is doing a lot of great things, exposing aviation to young people, uh, women, yeah. pe people of color. And then I, th I think I also saw that you're involved in some sort of like executive preparedness program, or could you speak about that a little bit? Yes. Okay. So I, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the turning points for me being at United was, it was actually during COVID, <laughs> during 2020. I mean, you all have heard about the airlines, right? Nobody was flying, right? I mean, Pros is aware. Nobody sure. was flying. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nobody managed it, right? And so I actually, um, I was actually on spring break when COVID hit and never went back into the office after that. Kids never went back to school. Spring break, I will never forget spring break 2020. Um, so I come back, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get myself set up at home for my, you know, I work from home sometimes, but it wasn't an everyday thing. So I start, you know, get set up and everything. And, you know, one of the first emails that I seen was from, an, from, um, from someone in HR saying, hey, you've been nominated to join this program um, called um, ITSMF Management Academy. And I was like, okay, you know, I never heard of it. He's like, are you interested? Well, of course I'm interested. I don't know what it is yet, but yes, I'm interested, <laughs> right? I'll go look at it later. And so I had to do like an application, send in a resume and, and all this stuff, but even, even though I did nominate it, so I started looking. And so it's actually a management academy, which is a year long program, which, um, which exposes you to 
um, leadership training. I had I had never been trained in being a manager, right? So I didn't I re- I didn't really know what it was. The only thing I had to, to take from it was I knew what, how my manager treated me, right? Mm-hmm. And I know how people should be treated in general, right? <laughs> but I'd never had leadership training. Like how do you how do you get people to kind of rally around you to you know for a common goal? Like how do you define a strategy? Like how do you write you know, letters to executives, like a lot of these things I had just never done. So I went through ITSMF Management Academy. Like I said, it was a year long program and it's for, for technology kind of mid-level managers, right? Um, cohort of 50 people. We go through a year together. We meet weekly, uh, which, wow. was, which, which was a lot. Um, we did a project. We did speaking engagements. We presented to executives. Um, and so at the end of a year, you know, I said, well, kind of, what is my, what is my next step? Like, I felt, I felt like, okay, now, like, this is when I need to kind of make my, my next move. Um, let's figure out what, what that is. And, um, I actually have one of my mentors, um, Halan Hammond, who just got promoted to VP, actually, (laughs) um, you know, she asked me at the end of, it was almost the end of my program and I was about to graduate. She said, what are you doing? She's like, do you want to be a director? And Mm -hmm. I think her saying that just kind of, (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, like, yes, I I do want to be a director. (laughs) She said, so what are you waiting for? And it, it was crazy at that time. There were, I remember six or seven open director positions available at United and, and they were very hard to come by normally six or seven and i think it was because it was right at the end of COVID. like there were some people who took you know packages to leave you know did, did any there were just a bunch of, of things happening at that time and um you know it, it was a rigorous process but i felt through my leadership training that i was that's how i was able to get through that right um just thinking about like what is the impact that I have had on things at United and not just rattling off like a bunch of things I had done, right? Anybody can rattle off, rattle off everything you've ever done. Okay, what does that mean, right? But if nobody had ever taught me, you know, to talk about the impact of what I've done versus just what I've done, you know, I might mm-hmm. be in a different place today. So, um, so that was one program. That was the first program, I will say. And then I think the program that you might be referring to is the Black Executive Leadership Program. So that is actually um, a McKinsey program. Um, and so United, whenever they, they run that program, United gets a, a, a couple of spots. And I was also nominated um, for, for that program um, through McKinsey. And it was, it was a shorter program. It was about, three to, it was about four months long. Um, but similar things, right? You you get in a room, you're going to talk about certain situations, how you handle certain situations, how you market yourself, um, you know, how do you talk to people, how do you engage, how do you strategize? And so it was more around executive leadership and almost preparing you for what the next level is. And so that was, that was also a very instrumental um, project, I'm sorry, program. <laughs> Um, that I was involved in um, last year. So, yeah, I, I, that's true. I think that 
what I say. <laughs> what I like about that is, right, as a manager, right, you kind of just, I always, I always say making it up as I go because you get in situations and if you haven't been in that situation before, you're either in the heat of the moment, just kind of doing, well, I think this is the approach and maybe you're right and maybe you're wrong. Maybe you can consult with some other people and get things out, but you're kind of under the pressure of what the, that, you know, what the atmosphere that you're in right now. And right. I, I imagine as you go up and up, right. It's, it's, you're going to feel more comfortable if you're like, well, I've been prepared, right? I've gone through, I've mocked these scenarios or I've, you know, I've researched this, I've trained to do this and I'm ready and being able, you know, that's going to build your confidence, which is really going to help prepare you to get to that next role. Um, so that's amazing Absolutely. that you've had that opportunity. I mean, we, we do a lot more training now. I will say that. But when I became a when I became a senior manager, I remember distinctly asking my manager, I said, oh, is there some leadership training like something I've never led people before? He looked at me and he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and there was nothing else. There was there was not. No, but you can go look here. It was just no. So I was literally like you just said, thrown into the fire and figuring it out as I went along. Right. You You know inherently like how you want to be treated right and so it's how I wanted to treat my reports but those instances where you have to deal with issues it wasn't it wasn't taught and um, like I said we're doing a lot better now there are programs and, and trainings in place to prepare you for those types of, of things but um, when I became a manager it, they were they were not there at all so and it kind of goes back to those mock interviews right Right. If you if you have that pre that pre work that gets you ready, that never goes away. As you keep right. going up the ladder, you need to keep training and preparing and mocking things out so that when you get there, you know, you knock it out the park with, you know, your excellence. <laughs> Absolutely, Judy. Absolutely. And I think it's really these programs are are great for it. It's like, you you know, you go through your day-to-day -day work and it's like, you know, you're good. You're good at what you do. You know, you get things done. You have your teams who rally behind you, but sometimes it's doing those extra exercises that make you realize even in the day-to-day, -day, it's like, oh, wait, I think I, I am ready. Like I, I am ready for the, for the next thing. This is great. I love where I am, but it's kind of, it's sort of a self check of saying you've done all of these things. You may be, you know, kind of stepping out on faith a little bit, but it's like, yeah, I think I've got the goods to take it to the, to the next level. And those types of programs, or even if you're not a part of a program, just kind of seeking out those types of activities and things that can help you kind of articulate and think about where you, where you might want to go. Um, could catapult you into the into the next level as opposed to kind of sitting back and figuring out, oh, am I interested in this? Do I kind of want to go in that direction? Yes. I think one, once you kind of go through that type of activity, you're like, I can articulate this. I can really say what I want, where I'm ready to go. And then it's like, yeah, let's do it. And you're, you're definitely more comfortable in taking taking that leap. And I think, I think it's important just to add to that. <clears throat> like once you are at those top levels, it's definitely important to reach back. Like I always say like mentorship is, is, is one of my ministries because 
you know, there's a lot of new employees, right? And they're they're looking at me. You know, I'm like, you know, he's looking at me, but they're they're looking at me and I have to I, I have to understand that I may have a little bit of influence over people, right? Um, so I, I always say that I collect mentees um, over the, I mean, over a lot of years, I've just kind of, like people just gravitate towards me. And so whether they've come for the summer and work for United, we keep in touch, whether they they come for our early career digital leadership program, we keep in touch, whether, you know, whether they've been at United for 10, 15 years, Right. I am always having like mentorship meetings with people. And this was this was prior to United starting a formal program. But I've always had like conversations with people because they 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 look up to you and, and I can give them advice and, and they can give me advice. Right. I, when, I, when I look at this generation that's coming in now. One thing I can say is they are bold. Right. Like I, I think our generation was just a lot more go with the flow. They're bold. And so yeah. it's refreshing, right? To, to yeah. see um, just some of the ideas that they have and ways they want to go about doing things. Like they have so much energy. Like I'm like, maybe I had that energy 20 years ago, right? But they have so much energy and they they really want to do well. Um, you know, they want to do well in their careers, but they also want to, they want to work somewhere that they like to work. And so I, I have been I've been really, really happy at United and that United has, you know, done so much programming like Beacon, our Black BRG business resource group. I mean, Beacon over the last two years, actually, we started right before COVID. I mean, they have done amazing things in the community, right? Amazing things in the community. And I just kind of get in where I fit in, right? I volunteer for for everything, like I, I mean, that that's literally what I do. Like I volunteer when I can, right? Like Juneteenth celebrations in Houston, you know, was huge. And we've done that for the last couple of years. We've, we've brought students in, you know, partnering with, with other organizations like Girls Rock Wings. We took them out, you know, to the airport and, you know, we offered our time there. Like that, those are some um, amazing things, amazing things. We, we had our first, um, we had our first like Beacon Award ceremony last year to just recognize um, both Black employees and allies, right? Because allies are important, um, recognizing them. And so, you know, we had never done that before. And so I think there's just a certain fire. Um, yeah. I mean, you should see like how many people we have <laughs> that want to go recruit for United, right? We, yeah. we partner with HBCU. So we're going to Howard and um, AUC and, you know, North Carolina A&T, along with the majority institutions, right? And I mean, we just have so many people involved that want to be here. And so it's, it's, they like that it's a great place to work, right? They like that it's a great place to work. And so I have been fortunate and, and blessed and, and I have really good friends here and the opportunities are, have been really, really good um, for me as well as um, other people coming behind me too. So We love our ERG too. That's why we're here today. <laughs> yes, We've been talking yes. to you and power has been, been amazing. It's, it's one of the things that I definitely bookmark in my time at, at pros. Um, it's like, yep, that's, 
it lights a fire in you. Definitely makes you want to show up every day to be your best and definitely reaching back. We've got a ton of programs that are doing sort of the, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, makes it a great place to work. Good, good, good. Absolutely. We might need yeah. to partner. Partner on we some should. activities. We'd, We'd love it. We we should. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So, so I think it's time for <laughs> the heat check. Now, this is just the the portion of the episode where we just have a chat about kind of things we've been reading or things we've been experiencing <sighs> in technology and culture. We're not going to put you on the spot, Tanisha. No. Okay, good. Because uh, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring the heat checks and you can you can chime yeah. in if you have a, a okay. point of view. Um, so my heat check is... Um, I didn't know this. I thought I knew so much, but um, Google Doodles educating people all the time. So December 1st was Gerald Jerry Lawson's um, uh, 82nd birthday uh, Google Doodle. Um, He invented cartridges for um, game systems, which how did I not know this before? So there's a very cute um, Google Doodle. And you, there's like a little game and it kind of takes you through some fun facts of things that he did. And there's also a YouTube video. Um, his son is actually a in software as well now, which legacy, like how many times do you see a black person and their, you know, their kid in the industry. So beautiful to see. They, they included some game designers as well in the video. Um, so I will put a link in the show notes. Um, just just things like that just always warm my heart. I just, I just really um, enjoyed seeing that and learning something new um, about games, which you know, are, you know, extremely popular <laughs> out there on the interwebs with children and adults and everybody. So uh, that was cool. Pretty All right. Sarah. So my heat check. Um, I am a proud millennial and I spend more time than I'd like to admit on social media. Um, But over the weekend, as I'm scrolling, I kept seeing all of these people posting these like artistic self portraits of themselves. And uh, I think Tanisha is nodding like I saw some of these too. Um, And so they're using this app called Lensa. um, And I (laughs) was... After I'm scrolling and I'm seeing all these these photos, you know, celebrities were doing it like the whole thing. Um, I and then of course I come across a few people posting some points of view about you know this Lensa app. So um, one of the th- one of the three things that I saw first was kind of like a warning. You know, all of this talk about how these companies are using your data and you know make sure you read the T's and C's or, you know, terms and conditions, and they're probably going to sell your data. Just be mindful as you're sharing, right? Um, Which kind of gives you pause. It definitely gave me pauses. I was like, I want to try it too. And I was like, do you really want to put your photo out there? I don't know. Am I thinking too much about this? We'll we'll see. Um, But then another argument that came through was these AI-generated self-portraits could possibly be hurting, you know, true artists who do this as a living. Um, If you can go and download a free app and pay, I think it's like four bucks to get access to these these AI-generated 
portraits that this could potentially be hurting the the art industry and and things like that. And then the third thing that I saw was, which is definitely more relevant to our conversations and and tech, is um, we heard of several months back there was a case I believe about the Google was it the Google facial recognition software someone had brought that it was biased towards Caucasian features and when it came to brown and black facial features they weren't so great the 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 technology wasn't great to be able to recognize that and so there was an argument about you know while there's risk in sharing your data on these types of apps that because it's AI powered, could adding more black and brown faces to in this, you know, kind of this data pool increase, you know, kind of help the algorithm as far as AI recognition is for black and brown features. And I was just curious around the room, do you think this might help that? Do you think there are better ways to to go about it? Just kind of general general ideas across the room i have mixed feelings i i'm definitely not one to be like oh i'm gonna put my thumbprint in here or take you know my facebook profile pic is a fraggle so (laughs) 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 that's kind of i just maybe it's the introvert of me i just don't want my face everywhere um but if it is going to improve how the ai recognizes black features so that these applications won't be so biased, you know, against us, then that is a good thing. But yeah, I'm always worried about, um, you know, the, the tech taking over or it being used to profile people or, you know, um, kind of some of the things we talked about before is like, um, you know, is it going, is it going to target neighborhoods of where these pictures are getting uploaded for more, you know, surveillance or whatever that you know that's what i worry about one thing i thought about um because i wanted to also do that linda right i started seeing all these pictures and I'm like oh i want to do it i want to do it and i started reading about who's behind it oh it's the russian company that owns it oh what are they going to do with our data and i'm generally not one to you know where's where's jenny said she has a fraggle I'm like everywhere. I'm like, oh, here's my face. You know, here's my kids' faces. And I normally don't think about that stuff, but I haven't done a Linza because, you know, I'm just, you know, it's a, I'm a little weary of that. But what I've seen from some of the pictures, in a lot of those pictures, they don't look like black faces to me. That was one of the things they they don't really look like black faces. And I don't know that a private company behind Linza would somehow, you know, help this recognition algorithm, you know? So I'm kind of on the fence about, you know, whether that in particular would help. Now, something like, um, like, you know, clear, for example, Right. You know, we're all if you have clear in the airport, we're all have to go there and do our little camera picture. And, you know, if, if you go in that lane, I think something more along like that might help more so than than some of the AI generated um, pictures. So. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I think it's probably inevitable that the data, you know, whatever you upload will be shared or probably sold to some data mining company at some point. So it's like, is the risk worth, you know, the potential benefit? And it's not, you know, we're not even guaranteeing a, a benefit. It's the potential benefit. And I'm also not, I'm normally not one that's like, Oh, I'm a little nervous about sharing, but for some reason that one kind of <laughs> kind of made Same. me pause a bit. Same. I would have done and, it too. And, I was like, oh, yeah. on. Then the other argument is if they're not getting it from there, they're getting it from something yeah, else. It's, it's yeah. all yeah. it's all out there. <laughs> if you've ever yeah. I mean if you've ever posted a picture, not even tagging people, but you've you ever posted a mm-hmm. picture or someone's posted yes. a picture of you. You have a driver's license that has your picture. You have, you know, other documents that have your picture. That's living somewhere that can be accessed, right? There's security in place, but there's no security that's 100% foolproof. Yeah. So it's all out there as well. So yeah, I you never know the answer. Sorry, I was, no, gonna, no. I was just saying, um, I was, I'll sh- also share the link to the article that I read about this. It includes the the excerpts of the terms and conditions. So if you choose to get on the Lensa app, some information in there for you. <laughs> That's awesome. Anything, Tanisha, that you have or you've read lately that you? Listen, <clears throat> the one thing that I've kind of been engrossed in, so I am, Jenny, I know you don't like sports, but I'm a big <laughs> sports fan. So... <laughs> I have really been engrossed in this Deion Sanders, like Jackson. So I actually, so you might need to back up because I am aware that Dion is involved in something right now, but I have zero context of what the details are. Oh goodness. So he coached, he's a, he was the coach at Jackson state HBCU. Uh, I think he's been there for two years. He got an offer to move to Colorado University and he took the offer and you know there's just debates about oh he never wanted to you know there's 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 all type of think tanks going on right now right oh he never wanted to be here he didn't do anything for us but then there's opposite side he did everything for us we got a new stadium we got all these you know all this additional attention you know we got out of bad contracts you know and so I've been like just heavily engrossed in that I'll say that for one. And then two, Elon and Kanye. They just never end. They never end. And so, you know, as I'm like, so I actually do the social media for the Athletic Booster Club at at our high school. Mm -hmm. And so I'll do that under the Booster Club name. And then I'll switch. I'll just switch to my name, right? Just to kind of see what's going on. And there's literally always something from Elon and Kanye. And you can get engrossed in that as well. And so when I have time, that's what takes up my time. Just following <laughs> the craziness that surrounds uh, the two of them. So. Yeah. The, the Kanye thing is like, now I am... <laughs> I am a Kanye fan pre um, 808s and heartbreak. That was probably the, 
Life. Life of Pablo, I mean, it was great. But it, mostly anything after 808 and Heartbreaks, I'm like, okay. I miss the mm-hmm. old Kanye. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's like watching a car crash. Yes. You know, and I just, I'm very, I'm not engrossed in it, but I'm just kind of watching where is the crash? Where is it going to end? Where Where is it? Where is he finally going to land? Um. Am I a bit nervous about him running for president? A, a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Uh, or maybe a lot of it. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, yes, yeah, like, yeah, it's, friend. yeah, it's, you, you want to laugh, but at the same time, history has told us that you think it's, you think it's ridiculous, but, Right. You never know what's going to happen. So, yeah, you definitely just kind of follow it to see where it's going. Um, it's insane. Um, it's going to be a fabulous biopic in about 20, 10 to 20 years, <laughs> uh, I, I predict. Um, so we'll see what young actor will, will well, play. He actually, um, I don't know if you guys saw his documentary on Netflix. There's a... I think three part oh, documentary. That's right. I think it's in my it's in my watch list. I haven't watched it. It's actually it yet. a really good documentary. The the first couple parts that I, I watched, like you can see kind of his genius build up. Mm-hmm. But then you like you know the real story, like all the stuff that happens later, like now, you know. And so it might be an interesting look. Yeah, I'm putting him in that category when when I was interning at NASA and you know, people had their nameplates and everyone with a PhD was a little <laughs> different. I think differently. <laughs> I'm not going to generalize that all people <laughs> with PhDs, but there's kind of like that genius factor where, you know, kind of like Michael Jackson, Prince, some other, you know, other people that are just kind of, they're, they're so in tune with whatever their art form is that. Yeah. And then when you get powerful and rich, that it just kind of snowballs into insanity. Um, and this go. is, I, he's definitely going down that road. Um, I'm okay with Kanye's genius. I'm just concerned that it's going to be more harmful than than good. That, you know, that you get into that kind of dangerous, he has a lot of influence and he has a lot of money. You know, and that's and, yeah, and that's scary. what I'm saying. You're laughing because it's kind of ridiculous, but at the same time, you're like, oh. this could actually go it to a actually scary place. We've seen yeah, it happen before. Yeah, our kids oh. are gonna be able to tell some great stories <laughs> yes. about the things that they <laughs> they lived through. <laughs> yes, yes, some great yeah, stories for sure. Starting yeah. with the the two years that they stayed in the house. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Man, I was telling someone the other day, I was like, we got through that because that was, my son was, it was not good for, it's not good for children to be, you hear, you no. know, you, 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 people are protesting that have, have had such strict rules and it's, it's a tough decision, right? You, you understand why you know, we got to shut everything down. And I, I agree with what we did, but at the same time, like it took my son probably like two years to it to like get yeah, back the ripple to effect. Yeah. Yeah. The ripple effect on the kids. Um, I was, I was watching something and it, teachers were saying, you know, the impact on students, you know, coming out of 
the lockdown period, it's like they are not they are not the same emotionally, you know, mentally. Some of them aren't as a lot of them haven't snapped back, you know. And so, yeah, we we shall see. It's not easy. It's not easy. But to turn it around, we're going to go outreach and give the spark of STEM yes. engineering and software and just hopefully um, redirect them. Because um, I've said this before, I think it's one of the best professions to be in. It's always changing and challenging and interesting. And um, uh, yeah, I love it. Tanisha, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Hmm, let's see. I am on LinkedIn for sure. Um, Tanisha O'Hall. I think I have um, the, the link uh, for that. And yeah, we'll share that. I, I have a Twitter and an Instagram. I'm hardly ever on, like I hardly ever post on Twitter, but I do respond and I do, I am on it because I, I look at stuff. I just hardly ever post there. Um, I'm more so post on LinkedIn and sometimes on Facebook, which is not really public, but um, than Instagram all Tanisha O. Um, mm -hmm. O is my middle initial, so I'm normally Tanisha O. And then LinkedIn, Tanisha O. Hall. And if you don't put that O in there, you won't find me. <laughs> so. <laughs> Fantastic. So we want to thank you, Tanisha, for joining us today, as well as all, as well as all of you in the audience listening in. If you enjoyed this conversation, drop us a line at interfacepodcast at pros.com or find us on LinkedIn. Please also rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening from. It helps the show tremendously. And we want your feedback to make the show better. We encourage you to go out and continue this conversation and even start your own. We'll meet you back here for the next episode from our crew to yours. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. <laughs>